hacking, Justin, for you guys, there was launch. The LRT, Mosul, the Olympics, oil, Putin, pipelines, Pokemon Go, <laughs> Prince and Princess Leah, refugees, Syria, Trump, Zika. You can add all kinds of things into there, but as you reflect on the past, you can go, this is what's happened to me so far. What happens when you take a moment to reflect on the future? The past is now the past. It affects our lives, but perhaps even more importantly is how are we going to live this year? How are we going to live this week? How are we going to live out our lives? Our past matters, and it affects us in all kinds of ways, but perhaps what impacts us even more is our picture and vision for our future. John, in this particular passage, at the end of his revelation that Jesus has been opening himself and revealing, uh, a revelation here is not so much some just mysterious thing that's a, a secret. It's God, in a sense, opening the curtains and saying, here's who I am. And here's what I'm doing. He wants you to get a picture of this because he wants your heart and your life to be arrested by this picture of the future. This vision that John is given here is meant to change the way that you live. Because we really, we fail to live properly if we do not have a correct view of the future. You know the song, it's by Tim McGraw. Even if you're not a country fan, you've heard it, and you probably could hum along if you wanted to. I, I know you don't want to, it's okay. It's the song goes, he said, I was in my early 40s with a lot of life before me, and a moment came that stopped me on a dime. I spent most of the next days looking at the x-rays, talking about the options and talking about sweet time. Asked him when it sank in and that this might merely be the end, how's it hit you when you get that kind of news? Man, what do you do? And he says, I went skydiving, and I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I won't sing the rest. And I loved deeper, I spoke sweeter, I gave forgiveness that I've been denying. And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Someone got a picture of their future and it arrested their attention and it changed their lives. And he's saying, really, if you go through the song, as hard as this was, in a sense, I really started to live. I really started to live into who I was supposed to be all along. It really captured my attention but that's a picture of our coming death. What about the picture that John gives of our ultimate coming future? Where actually death is done away with. Tears are done away with. How does that change our lives to live in light, not just of the days to come and perhaps the years to come, but of light of eternity? Because eternity ought not to be just something that we go, well, you know, we sing about in the sweet by and by. Eternity in this picture that John gives us here and Jesus gives the church is meant to grab a hold of our hearts so that we live in light of eternity 
understanding that God will come again. We've gone through a Christmas season recently and reflected on the fact that God came in person to us in the person of Jesus Christ. That changes your hearts and lives when you think that God would love us so much that he would be willing to come into creation as a human being to love and serve humanity all the way to the cross. That changes your heart and life. But the picture is not just that Jesus came and died and rose again. The picture and the promise that Jesus gives us is I'm going to return. I'm coming again. What has been accomplished at the cross will one day be fully experienced by all of us. And this is what John is seeing when heaven comes down, when God comes to his people. And John gets a picture of this. And then we're going to talk about not only the picture, but what does the power for this look like? What does this picture do in us and for us? The picture of God coming again and the power of God coming again. The picture is, is John sees a new heaven and a new earth. God is coming down. And the picture that John gives is not just a, a human city. The, what he's telling us here is the architect and builder of this city is God. This is not just another human city that we construct, that we design, that we architect together, that we lay out all our plans and purposes and what we would like to see and how community relations would go. But this is a picture of what God does when he designs a city, of what God does when he comes down and sets his creation rights. And he has to come down if it's going to be this kind of city. We can't build a city up to him. Genesis 11 says we've tried that before and it was a great disaster. The picture here is God's city comes to us. It's a gift of grace. It's not an act of human innovation and us coming together, even with our best intentions and our best working together. Jacques Ellul says this, the cities of man have been built as part of our attempts to run from God, to make our own world apart from God, away from the claims of the living God. That's what happens when we try to build our city, when we try to map out our plan, when we try to map out our future. Instead, the picture Jesus gives John and gives to the church and gives to us is that he has a plan. He has a purpose, and it's far better than anything else that we could ever think or imagine. God comes again to people to make all things new. It's not that he's making all new things here. It's not that he does away with everything and starts again. John is recognizing the picture he's seeing, even in fantastic terms, seeing this is something that I recognize. Not making all new things, but making all things new. There's a continuity here between our broken reality and broken creation and the creation and the recreation that God breaks in and brings down to people because he is there and present. There's a whole new reality where all the, the negatives of the first world will be removed. 
If you watch HGTV or some other show like that, you've seen all kinds of the reno shows where someone comes into a space, you know, they bought it now and they're like, we thought it was pretty good, but now we look at it and, you know, really it's kind of a disaster, far more than we actually thought. So they invite someone to come in, you know, a designer and a construction team. And the first thing that happens is they come in and go, we need to take some things out. You go away for a little bit and come back in, you know, seven days or something like that. And it's going to be amazing. What happens, you see them picture of ripping out everything that actually doesn't belong. In some cases, probably should have never been there in the first place. All that stuff comes out, and then all of a sudden, the designer comes in and says, this is what we're going to do. This is what this space could be. It's reimagining, repicturing of what this space could look like, and you come back, and the person always stands there going, I can't believe this is even the same spot. I mean, it is, because I recognize my space, but at the same time, it's it's new, it's far more inhabitable now, it's far more uh, able to live into it and be who I'm supposed to be here. If that's what some human designers and a construction team can do in a week, can you imagine what God can do from all eternity? 2,000 plus years now, God is coming again. And he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's what he's doing. Can you imagine what this place is? Where sin is no more? Where brokenness is no more? Because at the fall, sin broke every single relationship that human beings have ever experienced. It broke our relationship with God. It broke our relationships with one another. It broke our relationship with the environment. And hence, we've got... Uh, issues there. It even broke our relationship with ourselves. We, we don't even necessarily understand ourselves and know ourselves at the deepest level that we should as human beings. But the picture John sees now is God in his new city coming down. Relationship with God is restored, and the world in all its various aspects and relationships are made right here. But there's a picture here of both what's not there and what is there. And note, I'm just giving you the first kind of five verses into this, of what goes into the beginning of chapter 22. There's a lot more of this uh, if you take a look at both what's there and what's not there. But first, what's not there? If you look at verse 1b, it says, The first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And then verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. The sea's not there, nor is death and all its companions of grief and tears. The sea in the ancient world symbolized chaos. Even in the book of Revelation, the revelation is a picture whenever the sea comes in, it's where evil comes out. The beast comes out. Everything that rebels and is against God often comes out of the sea. They understood this in terms of when they read this of, oh, the the chaos and the tempest is done away with. There's there's a new opportunity for evil to be put us to the side here. And there's no death or its companions of grief and crying and pain. There's no more of those things that rob us of the fullness of our lives, of shalom, 
as the Old Testament pictures it. There's no more broken promises. There's no more relationships that end in divorce or distance. There's no more mental illness. There's no more funerals. I'll be glad to be done with those. No more miscarriages, no more cancer or other diseases, no more concussions, no more environmental disasters, no more anything else that causes God's people to be hurt and broken and for humanity to weep. That's all done away with. That's good news. If you go on, there's, there's more that's not there. But look at verse 3. This is the picture ultimately at the very center of what is there. Verse 3 is this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. Who's there? God. That's why sin and death and everything else is done away with because God's there. The world was created by God for God so that humanity would be in the deepest relationship with Him. And sin broke that. Our rebellion broke that. But now God is saying, I'm here, I'm present, fully present, available to people. There's no barriers between me and people. There's intimate relationship restored once again. And I'm calling my people back to myself so that I can know them and they can know me and and be known by me. If you go on into the the picture that God is giving here, it's the picture of a a tabernacle or a new temple, this city and this new creation. It's decorated with the garden motif that the uh, temple and tabernacle had in the Old Testament. At the center of the tabernacle and the camp of the life of the Israelites, and then when they went into Jerusalem, at the very center of the city was the place God dwelt. And at the center of that was the, the Holy of Holies. John is saying here, look, your future contains where God is once again at the very center of your life, at the very center of human community, at the very center of human flourishing. That's at the center of it because God is there. Everything else that does not belong in God's creation is not there. And even the shape of the city is a picture of the Holy of Holies. Where God is known, not just from a distance, but known in the most close and intimate way and in the most close and intimate terms here. It's the ultimate fulfillment of of the manual of God with us. At the cross, Jesus, in one sense, reenacted the fall. At the fall, Adam and Eve were cast out of God's presence, and at the cross... Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God himself experiencing the pain and the anguish of separation from relationship with his own self in the Trinity. But at the cross, it's also a picture of how we could return. Because God was willing to be stretched out on the cross and die in our place. It was there as a highway so that we could come back into relationship with God so that this could happen. And at the resurrection, that's a picture is that whatever happens to you now will only make you better. Death is only a shadow 
pain is only a little mark in the blip in the history of, of eternity. Why? Because of what Jesus faced and the promise that we will be raised bodily, just as he was a first installment at the resurrection on a new heavens and a new earth. And at Pentecost, a, a better temple, the Spirit of God himself comes to live in his people. But now, John is seeing the picture of all of this is coming together. It's no longer just a picture. Reality is there. It's coming. It's breaking in. It's about to be experienced. That's the picture. Does that give you hope? Does that twinge something deep into you after the year you've had this year? Like, I I could do less with some of those things. This is the picture not of just doing with less, but no more of those things that break us and hurt us and cause us and others pain, and far more in every way of deep intimacy with God that our hearts long for as human beings. That's the picture. But here's the power of this. The power of this is it both gives us perspective and it gives us the power to live in the present. So John's not just giving us a picture. Jesus is not just coming and giving John this picture and saying, well, you know, here's a little fantasy picture and, you know, here you are. It is intended to change us from the inside out, that change the way that we live so that now we are completely controlled by what we understand the future to be, what reality really is about. Again, it's a revelation. It's kind of a pulling back the curtain. Is You can only see this so far as a human being, but God is pulling back the curtain and saying, there's something better coming. There's something more beautiful coming. There's something with deep hope coming. Live in light of this. Live in light of this city and picture of God dwelling among his people. Live in light of eternity. If you knew that tomorrow, a stock that was worth only pennies today is going to be worth thousands a share, what would you do? I know what I would do. I'd be figuring out how do I get some? Because my my picture of tomorrow in the present would be, you know, all those things that I think I want today, I'm willing to, to not have those because I know that this is worth so much more in the future. Or flip that around. If, if you look at something and go, this is worth a fortune now, but then you've got the newspaper article, you know, the day ahead and says, it's completely crashed, it's worthless. What would you do? You'd be saying, uh, I'm not quite as attached to this as I thought. It changes your perspective in the present. For those of you who are not, you know, stock guys, but maybe more into sports, if you've been on a losing team for years and years and years, you know, say you cheered for Toronto or something like that. Sorry. But you knew that there was a miracle comeback about to happen. You know, again, you, you saw the newspaper article and said, you know, it's, it's, here's the, the end of the season. They've won the cup. What would that do when you stepped onto the ice night after night? Even if you were going, man, we are down 10 to 1. Doesn't matter. 
I'm going to keep grinding it out in the corners. I'm going to keep pursuing that puck. I'm going to keep doing everything that I can because I know victory is about to come. I'm going to do everything I can to live in light of this better picture of tomorrow. Why? Because this picture guides you and it motivates you in the present. That's exactly what John is intending this to do for the church. Don't just have a narrow perspective this week. Whatever happens, whether it's the best things that happen to you or the worst things that happen to you, saying this picture of eternity is to be something that guides us in our day-to-day decisions and the way that we put our value on things, the way that we are motivated to go after Christ, the way that we are called to go and speak good news to Dundas, the way that we're called to be salt and light in our city or in our workplace. This picture of eternity is to motivate us and guide us into something bigger and better than we would have not had if we only had our own little picture, our own little hopes, our own little dreams. See, it gives you the power to live in the present. Why? Because it gives us the power of perspective. Now, if you know the book of Revelation, it's addressed to seven churches And almost uniformly, these churches at the beginning in the first few chapters are going through some difficult times. Some are very faithful. Others are are deeply struggling in their commitment to Christ. But this is the picture of who he's writing it to. He's saying, look, whether it's your greatest pleasures that you think you can give your life to and chase after, he's saying, that isn't as worth as much as you think in the end. These things pale in view of eternity, pale in the picture of God coming again. He is the one that you want. He is the thing that you need. Don't give your life to something that's only of secondary worth and value. It's very tempting to live for good things, pleasures. But often in living for those good things and living for those pleasures, we often give up the best. We put our hopes and dreams on them, put our identity on them, instead of actually chasing the thing that's actually we we deeply most wants. And what God promises here, we will have. But it also gives us hope in our suffering, in our pain, in the moments of anxiety when we're awake at night, when we're wondering about where God is or what life really means in light of the circumstances that we're facing here, it's saying this is not worth crushing despair. Why? Because there's coming joy. Whatever you're facing in the moment, however painful it is, and that is not to minimize it in any way, shape, or form, but it's saying that is not your final picture of reality. And that ought not to be the thing that defines you in your day-to-day life and defines you in your identity to the core. The thing that ought to define you is the hope that God will return and he will do away with death and suffering and pain and tears. See, if you're a skeptic here, your life is often maybe guided. And as I talk to some of my skeptical friends in my neighborhood, some of them are like, you know, I'm going to live everything I can for the moment because that's all there is, and then I'm going to die and rot. That shapes the way they live. 
But for the Christian, is whatever happens to me this week, whatever happens to me in my life, whether it is the best I could hope for or if it's far worse, that's not the only thing. The thing that I live for, the thing that motivates my heart and my actions, that gives me hope when circumstances look like they could crush me, is that God will return and God will be here with his people again. All the worst evil that you can face, all the worst suffering that you may experience in your life is ultimately a passing thing. See, John's not just painting a picture and saying, it's lovely, that's what I could come up with. God is pulling back the curtain again and saying, I want you to understand so that you live in light of the fact that I am coming to you. I have rescued you, and one day you will fully experience this. This is the picture of the new city that's described as the bride. It's a picture of of marriage, of God and his people consummating relationship here. Intimacy completely experienced at the deepest core of their lives. If you're dating and you get engaged... There's a period there where everything kind of is guided by the fact of there's a wedding day coming. Something is, is, is about to happen here. All of a sudden, you're like, you know what, I, I, I'm willing to forgo that dessert. I, I got to fit the dress. Or I, I, I'm not going to. I'm not going to spend my money on this because I, I want us to get that house and we're going to build this life together. See, that picture of the future completely changes everything that goes on in the moments. See, and the, the implication of this is this, if this is what the future ultimately holds, it needs to capture your heart and your imagination. It needs to capture your calendar. It needs to work its way into your relationships. It needs to change the way that you think about relationship with God. Think about the way that you think about what gives you hope and drive and motivates you in your life. Because if that's not God, if that's not the picture of ultimate reality that's coming, you've put your hope and trust in something less, not only than what you could have, but something less than the truth and reality itself. this is what God is doing, and it is, then I urge you, take some time to really get to know this God, because you're going to spend the rest of eternity doing that, to begin to build on that relationship now, to experience Him in His fullness. Pick up your Bible and find a reading plan or get together with some, of, some guys or some ladies and saying, let's, let's dig into this deeper together, because this is what's coming. God is coming here. When you're experiencing pain or someone else in your church or in your community group is experiencing some pain and going through a difficult time, this gives you some some ability to come alongside and say, I'm going to grieve with you. I'm going to cry with you. I'm going to feel your pain deeply. But I'm also going to point you gently beyond that 
even if you can't see it in your grief at the moment, that there is a new day dawning because God is coming and he's going to make all things new. And guys, as a, as a young church plant, this ought to deeply motivate you not only for your lives, but for the lives around you. You live in a, an incredible, incredible, beautiful town and city, but many do not have this hope. This is not the picture that drives them in their day-to-day lives and in their day-to-day decisions. How will you be a bridge in the weeks to come and the years to come, not only individually but collectively, to point them as this is what reality is ultimately about. This is what's coming. This is what is. So that they can live in light of this as well. We close with what Paul says in Colossians 3, 1-4. to He says, If then, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, that you also will appear with him in glory. In other words, live today in light of reality that God will come again. And as as Revelation closes, Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. Do you join with me as we pray? Spirit of the living God, Spirit of Jesus, you who gave John this picture and this revelation, would you speak to our hearts today? And Lord, we confess often we live in light of our own little picture for our lives and ourselves. And Lord, that often makes us and leads us into poor decisions that impact our lives and the lives of others. But Lord, would you shape our lives in light of eternity, not only for our sake, but for the sake of your church and for the sake of the city that we live in. Lord, that we could speak truth and grace to them, that your deepest heart's desire is to come and dwell and be at the very center of our lives. And Lord, that doesn't bring us loss, that brings us joy, that brings us peace, that brings us fullness in every sphere of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.